You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Saturday morning, Paul Rogers and the Gardner's and good morning and welcome to the Gardener's Calendar on this Saturday morning in some fall month of the year. Uh, the temperature continues to be a yo-yo. And as such, we need to try and get things done. I don't think it's just because I'm Irish that I'm thinking of the worst case scenario. But uh, as a gardener, I've seen and been caught too many times in the fall by a spell of what seemed to be very balmy weather that was going on forever. And so the best thing that we can do with temperatures that are up for a couple of three days and then down for another few days is to proceed on the basis of what the plants are telling us to do. If your perennials are still uh, green, if the leaves, that is, of course, are still green, then allow them to continue to photosynthesize, to put uh, sugar stores away for the winter and uh, for starting in the growth next spring uh, because it's all important to have the plants as healthy and as uh, packed with energy as we can have it. However, if the leaves are brown that are even uh, yellow and they're not supposed to be, uh, then on that basis, it's a good idea to remove the leaves, uh, clean them up uh, from the garden. Why do that? Because the leaves are the principal locations where the diseases of next year and the insects of next year have taken up residue. Our residents. And as such, uh, we want to clean that out because sanitation, just simple, basic cleanup, is the most effective pesticide that we have available to us. Get rid of those things, put them into the compost heap. If they're loaded with uh, weeds, then uh, make that a separate compost heap so that you don't contaminate your uh, basic compost uh, pile. After the uh, leaves are uh, finely cleaned up, then do not mulch the garden with 
a winter mulch. Now, we need to talk in terms of there is three types of mulching that we do in a garden in New England. And the first type is the permanent year-round mulch. And we have that around trees and shrubs and various plants. And it's there to moderate soil temperature, to keep weeds down, to provide a better root environment for hedges and shrubs and trees and vines. Uh, And so that's one type of mulch. No problem with that. That's going to sit there as it has all summer. It's going to sit there all winter. The second type of mulch that we use, or mulching that we use, is the summer mulch. And a summer mulch is put down to protect the soil from drying as rapidly as it would otherwise. Uh, protected from heating up from the direct rays of the sun and certainly to uh, conserve water and to uh, keep the plants in a growing state. But it's the summer mulch that in many cases we will be removing once we remove the uh, Uh, leaves from a plant that have gone into senescence. The third type of mulch we put down is a winter mulch. And a winter mulch is put down not to stop the ground from freezing. There's no way we could do that even with electric blankets. Uh, The We want the ground to freeze and stay frozen for the winter and not go through uh, hot and cold freezing and thawing cycles. That's what breaks roots, damages plants. And yet the, the winter mulch is not put down until the ground has frozen consistently, has frozen for a week or more. If it is put down once the garden has been cleaned up, then you're trying to stop the ground from freezing, and that's an unnatural condition. You're building homes for the mice and the voles and the chipmunks, and other beasties. And so we don't want to put down the winter mulch until after the ground is frozen so that we can keep it in that steady state of frozen for the winter, which is normal and natural for the uh, plants. The kind of... uh, Year-round mulch that we're using is usually wood chips or pine bark or fir bark or something like that that will uh, remain in place and rot down slowly uh, and provide a good interface with the uh, soil. 
The summer mulch that we put down are the grass clippings and even some uh, leaves, chopped up leaves and then, and partially broken down compost. And that's for all the nutritional value that it has, the rapid breakdown, the uh, uh, work with the... Uh, in weather conditions uh, of the summer to try and moderate them. The uh, winter mulch that we put down ideally is salt marsh hay. Salt marsh hay comes from areas along the coast where uh, the general uh, mix of weeds do not grow. This is strictly grass. It's a strong, sinewy grass that will hold up all winter. But again, because you're using it to keep the ground frozen, you don't want to put down mats of it to invite any critters back into the garden. Uh, The general rule of the thumb is two strands thick. If you do not feel, because of your conditions, that the salt marché will do well enough, then usually as a second layer over the light uh, spread of salt marché, we use evergreen branches, prunings, evergreen branches to hold the uh, soil down. But again, just one branch thick is all we're putting down. We we need to get away from the idea that we're trying to keep it warm. We're trying to keep it cool. You, It is best not to use field hay because field hay has all the weeds that you've been fighting all summer long to get rid of. You don't want to seed all manner of weeds into the ground for uh, next year's growth. So that's it. There's a permanent mulch. There's a summer mulch. We're making it disappear now. And we will, in our near future, be putting down a winter mulch. And that's it. And that's the story of mulch. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mulchy story. Here on the Gardener's Calendar. We'll get to the phones right after a brief break. Here on the Gardener's Calendar, talk to Jake and maybe to you as well at 508-755-0058. If you have a question for Paul, 508-755-0058. The Gardener's Calendar on WTAG, News Radio 580, 94.9 FM. The Gardener's Calendar with Paul Rogers here on WTAG 508-755-0058. If you'd like to be part of the program this morning and ask Paul a gardening question. Gardening question comes from Jake in Worcester. And good morning and thank you for calling. Hi, Paul. Good morning to you. My Uh, pleasure. um, I have a uh, hibiscus. Uh, I think it's a bulb. It's called Board Baltimore. Uh, It comes in brilliant red. But it dies down. You know, it's like the uh, tumors or uh, what do they call it, the uh, bulbs. Yeah. And they've been slowly degenerating. It's not, didn't even bloom this year. Um, should I put it, and, I, and should I pull it up now in, in the um, fall, or should I 
wait till spring to move it. Uh, better to wait until spring because we just don't know when the door is going to shut, close tightly on uh, any further growth. And while it is conceivable that uh, we will have uh, another six weeks of non-frozen uh, ground down at the four-inch level, uh, I would think that uh, that isn't, uh, there's no guarantees on it. So I would wait until spring. And then when you do, uh, you're going to dig it. You're going to improve the soil with compost and manure or bone meal and uh, lime the uh, ground in the area and then uh, replant it in a similar location or what are your plans for it? Well, I was wondering if we could put it in a large, uh, you know, like specimen vase or something and put it in out front more or less more in like that, yeah, you know, yeah. Mainline, mainline the food and and if it whatever whatever it needs. Yeah, Get away from other competition. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, you know that sounds like a fine pathway to go, and it should help a great deal. If there are other plants that are perennials and are growing close to it, you might want to look at the site knowing what the plant occupied for space above ground three years ago when it was doing better, then consider that below ground, we probably should multiply that uh, conflict-free area uh, by a factor of three. Mm, Okay. And... uh, then I think it would make a great deal of uh, difference for her. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Paul. You, you, you're the doctor. You know. Thank you. Well, good luck with it now. You too. Bye. Have a good morning. Yeah, you also. Bye, Bye. now. Oh, good call from Jake. And, you know, he had some birds singing in the background there and uh, gave a, a nice feel to the gardening <laughs> question. <laughs> hey, are we going to require that we the callers either have birds singing in the background, more likely dogs barking in the background. Well, we certainly have heard that as well. Yes, we have. I do want to also mention that the time has arrived. The time is nigh for the University of Massachusetts Extension Service to offer the gardening calendar, the 2018 gardening uh, calendar is now available, uh, and that's uh, $12. It is ship-free on orders that are received uh, up until... Uh, November 1, and November 1 is then you begin to uh, pay shipping. The uh, calendar this year, they have a 
theme every year. And the theme this year is on insects. And don't go yak right away. Because these insects, are some of them are supportive of our efforts. Fewer than 1% of the insects that we see in the garden are invasive. And that's just as well because of that 1%. We have Asian longhorn beetles, winter moss, emerald ash borers, and our longtime favorite, gypsy moth. So on that basis, we need to have all the reminders and all the support that we can. Well, the calendar not only deals with insects, but there's always a magnificent uh, garden image uh, to signify each month. There's daily gardening tips for our area of the country and our conditions, whatever they may be. There is the daily sunrise and sunset times, which keeps us kind of in tune with the cosmos, if you will. The phases of the moon, there's lots of room to write in uh, the notes, the note tickles that lets us know where we should be going or how long ago it's been since we did what we should have. And uh, the Paper is a low-gloss paper, so it's uh, easy to uh, write on. The uh, calendar, again, is the UMass Garden Calendar to uh, receive them. The check at this time is for the calendar. No shipping up until November 1. Then I believe the shipping is about $250, as I recall. So make a check to UMass Garden Calendar, care of five maples, M-A-P-L-E-S, uh, 78 River Road South, Putney, Vermont, and they're at 05346. So that's uh, the check is made out to UMass, and you're writing for it to UMass Garden Calendar. Cairo, Five Maples, 78, River Road South, Putney, Vermont, 05348. And uh, with that, you're going to uh, not only be able to buy a lot of those for gifts and for friends and to give them uh, support, 
but also you want one for yourself. It's one of the gardening tools that is uh, best for us to be involved with. And then uh, the other word is out to the beekeepers. You've got an incredible series of programs lined up for the uh, fall and winter months and a great opportunity to learn more about them. So I would suggest any, particularly if you've taken the uh, course within the last three years to make sure that you make the meetings for the Worcester County Beekeepers Association. Uh, we don't know what the winter will bring us. There are all manner of dire forecast. But what we do know is that we need to work at a little bit. We need to give the bees a little break so that they'll be there to do their essential work next year. And that's uh, it. And we'll get right to our phones after the news here on WTAG. If you'd like to be part of the program, 508-755-0058. The Gardener's Calendar with Paul Rogers on WTAG. News Radio 580, 94.9 FM. Gardener's Calendar here on WTAG. Right back to your phone calls right now. And a call from Lynn in Westminster. And good morning and thank you for waiting. Oh, my pleasure, especially when you're talking about Two of my favorite side topics, the calendar and beekeeping. Right. Uh, so I, I, I love the calendar. Um, I highly recommend it for people. What I use with, do with mine, among other things, is I'll write down the first sightings of hummingbirds. And it's fun to look back on my previous ones to see, you know, like when they've shown up. But um, it's also because it shows the phases of the moon and it shows his sunrise set, uh, sunrise and sunset times for actually, I think it's for Worcester. Um, it's just so kind of personalized for Massachusetts. So anyway, I, I just love them. Well, thank you so much for the endorsement. And they thank you also. They, it's a lot of work that goes into producing that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And it really is a great gardening tool for us and um it's just it's also great like seasonal decor i have it hanging in my kitchen and um just last week i had some house guests who loved it and i happened to have an extra one that i had bought last year and even though it's just october they were happy to have or still october whatever they were happy to get the 2017 one just for the rest of the year. Right, it's just, right. So anyway, they're great. But the reason why I called is that um, I had an amaryllis plant that um, I don't think it flowered last year. It just, you know, made leaves. And um, I, I put it outside because it started to have some bugs on it right. um, last spring and just kind of, like forgot about it yeah. until eventually you know, I came upon it and the leaves were all just like flat on the ground. So I pulled those old leaves off, brought it inside, put it in a corner and forgot about it. And then the other day I looked and there are um, two leaves already coming up. 
One of them is about an inch long. One, and, and I'm wondering, like, does that mean this year it's not going to send up a flower or two? And what do I do? Like, this seems early to me. Like, what do I do now? Well, number one, uh, early and late has no relevance to the growth cycle of the amaryllis. It is predicated on its rest period and its growth period. So it's only would seem early if we were raising the amaryllis for Christmas bloom. It can happen at literally at any time that we do it. Like you can have a chrysanthemum flower any day of the year just by lighting and uh, and shading it. So uh, the amaryllis, I would definitely not give up on it because I've seen any number of them that have uh, two leaves or more that are two inches, three inches long and then barreling up out of the uh, middle is the uh, bloom spikes. I, it may well be that inadvertently or casually uh, that you've provided it with what it needs uh, for rest and activity. Usually, uh, putting it outside like that for the summer usually means great uh, growth and and healthy growth and bulb-building growth. But uh, then usually we need to trim back the uh, foliage and give it a uh, rest period before we start it back into growth again. So there's kind of a permanent stop before we uh, start it up again. Yours kind of morphed in from one to the next, which is no problem for any number of plants. But yes, there is a possibility that it has, uh, it's going to be a foliage plant again this year. Okay. So, um, is there anything I can? Well, it's probably too late to to encourage a flower as opposed to dormant. I mean, foliage. But um, nevertheless, like I haven't even watered it since I brought it back in. Like I'm not sure what to do. Like, well, if, in the shade, like in a dark corner of a dark room. Uh, that's not going to stop it. It's like stopping a. Uh, Pardon the analogy, but it's like stopping a pregnancy and then starting it up again uh, in uh, three months or six uh, months. Fantasy, you're dreaming. <clears throat> yeah, okay. So that uh, what I would do is I would uh, start uh, watering it with nice warm water, soak it to uh, get it up and, and growing and then see uh, what it's going to do and what it will be. Okay. Um, food regimen? Uh, food, I wouldn't worry about it unless after the shoots, uh, the leaves 
uh, six inches long if there has been no indication of the bloom spike coming up, then yeah, I'd put it on a once every uh, three weeks okay. uh, liquid fertilizer to see if maybe by packing in some extra energy in there, we can recover the bloom cycle. Okay. All right. And good luck. <laughs> Always you. have a positive outlook. Oh, yeah. Well, especially in anticipating your show on Saturdays. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being there. My pleasure. All right. Bye. Bye. The Gardener's Calendar here on WTAG. And right now we have a call from Frank in Charlton. And good morning. Thank you for waiting, Frank. Good morning, Paul. I hope you're doing well today. I am. Thank you. Terrific. A question about... uh, Berry plants, blueberry and raspberry plants. For years, they've produced very well, and the fruit has been sweet and tasty. The last couple of years, they're producing fruit, but as you pop a handful of blueberries in your mouth, the taste is sweet and good, and within maybe 30 seconds to a minute, it turns to kind of a metallic, dusty, unpleasant taste on both both the blueberries and raspberries. I was wondering what I could do to try and get that flavor back. Okay, very simplistically, I think that the first thing that I'd try is a good liming, ground limestone application uh, for both of the plants. People sometimes in, in amazement will say, well, a blueberry plant is a plant that likes acid soil. Nothing really likes acid soil. They are tolerant of acidity. And certainly as far as the raspberries are concerned, they want to uh, the uh, best soil possible for good, healthy growth. And because we are talking about uh, sweetness involved in this, it's there's a high probability that the pH, the soil acidity, is uh, a bit lower than it should be. Anything that will stimulate the plants into strong vegetative growth is going to be reflected in the uh, fruit that is developed from it. Now, the raspberries particularly, are you cutting the stems that have fruited? Are you cutting them off at ground line and the canes that have not fruited, cutting them back to about three feet to regulate the cycles of growth and flowering? Yes, we do that every year. Okay. All right. Then, yeah. Uh, If you had compost, it certainly would do no harm to put compost around any and all of the plants because the uh, compost is going to give them a slow, steady, low-keyed feeding as opposed to a mineral fertilizer that gives them one jolt. But if you don't have compost available, 
then uh, in early spring, just as soon as the ground gets pretty squishy underfoot, uh, I'd go out there and use some uh, handful, anyway, uh, of 10-10-10 fertilizer and see if we couldn't make sure that that box has been checked off, that the the plants are not suffering from uh, soil that doesn't have enough lime or that doesn't have enough of the uh, NPK, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash for general growth. Could we have been working against ourselves? We've been using holytone on things like rhododendron and azalea with good success. It also lists those berry bushes, and we've been putting the holytone, which I believe is an acid, on those on those plants. Should we stop doing that? The holytone is the number one best feeder for broadleaf evergreens. Uh, for the other plants, it is, uh, well, it has a lot of iron in it, and uh, I don't want to say no to any application of fertilizer, but uh, I think that holytone is in a separate category as far as pricing and as far as orientation to it. So I don't want to say it was wrong to use it, but I think it's preferable to back away from uh, particularly the raspberries, but also the blueberries with it. It's, it may well be too rich a diet for Okay. Is it a simple way to think of lime is sweet? That's right. That's okay. right. And one quick one, if I could. We have a couple of clumps of uh, rhubarb, which have done tr- tremendously well over the years. And the last year or two, they, they used to seed almost right around Memorial Day. And yeah. this last year, they're very dismal. How do I rejuvenate and, and bring that back? Feed, feed, feed. Uh, rhubarb is an incredibly heavy feeder. It also needs tremendous amounts of water when it's developing in the spring. And, uh, but it, it used to be standard practice that we would pile manure in a heap over the top of the rhubarb plant at this time of the year. And in the spring, it would have broken down a little bit from freezing and thawing, and we would just pull the manure uh, into a circle around the plant so that the uh, leaves were not uh, blocked from developing, and uh, they would grow well. I know of no other plant that is so dependent upon a lush growth than rhubarb is. So, okay, so lots of water and 10, 10, 10 as well? Yep, definitely. And don't be shy with the 10, 10, 10. I'd put it down when I was putting it down for 
the others if you do. And then I'd put it, uh, give it another side dressing or side application in uh, uh, probably four weeks. Terrific. Thanks very much. And is it too late to fertilize or is it too early to fertilize? It's too early. Too early for the yeah, fall on? Yeah. We want things. We don't want to stimulate above ground growth. We want to stimulate root growth. And so for trees and shrubs, et cetera, uh, mid-November is probably the first. Okay. What about the lawn? Lawn uh, after you've stopped mowing for the year. Oh, okay. Yeah. The idea being that what we're trying to do is pack nutrients into the crown support root growth, which will keep going for some time yet. Uh, But we don't want to stimulate top growth. We're stimulating root growth. We're building a higher, how do I easily put it? Uh, We're building a higher concentration of what we call soluble salts within the plant. And the higher the soluble salt content, the less likely it is that the plants will suffer any uh, freeze damage. Freeze damage uh, because of intercellular uh, freezing. And just as salt water doesn't freeze as fast as fresh water does, same thing for the plants. Terrific. Okay. Well- Great information, as always. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Nice talking with you. The Gardener's Calendar on WTAG. More of your calls. The Gardener's Calendar with Paul Rogers. Right back to your calls and Diane in Worcester. And thank you for for calling and for waiting. How may I help? I don't know what we do without you. Mine's a simple question, but I had hostas, and they, they did well. My question is, I don't know. Um, how to cut them down? Do you leave them as they are, or do you cut them down to some extent? Yeah, it's it would be well to cut them down once those leaves uh, discolor and and turn yellow or brownish, and uh, then yeah, I normally use uh-huh. uh, uh, grass clippers uh, to grass trimmers to uh, cut them down, but you could do it with uh, hand pruners also. And you want to clean them all out of the area. Cut them off an inch or two above the top of the uh, where they come out of the clump and clean them all up because that's where the snails overwinter that do so much damage to Hostess, and so it's uh, a good sanitation you're looking for, but only when the leaves have have begun to fag and look tired and wintry. So I probably did it too soon, but I think I tried it on one, and I thought I should call you because I cut it down rather low. Yeah. And I don't know if I did the right thing. Uh, an inch or two above the clump, and that normally will uh, 
not damage the clump at all. Oh, good. Yeah, so no problem at all. No. Great. Thank you so much, Paul. I thought I, I cut it too short and ruined it. No, um, not at all. Not right, at thank all. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye now. And here on the Gardener's Calendar, we have a call from Elaine in Holden. And good morning. How may I help you quickly? Hi. I understand. Oh, okay. Um, hi, Paul. I planted an asparagus garden. Right. Excellent. This is my. This is our first year. Um, and they all look so different. Some of them look like little asparagus, about seven inches tall, but very, very thin. Yeah. Um, and the others are, are three feet tall, and they're very wispy, and I have no idea what to do with them. The Internet tells you two or three different things. Yeah. I have no idea what to do. Okay, and uh, the difference in appearance one to the other is no problem at all. It's early shoots and later... Uh, thickening shoots for uh, production. So what I would do at this time of the year, because we do have uh, asparagus beetles in our area that can damage the plants severely, uh, little red beetles, it would be a good idea to cut them back to within an inch of the ground clean out the uh, shoots and the rubble. And if you had compost, I'd put a layer down. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't worry about it. And I'm sorry for the uh, the brief uh, presentation uh, because I've got to run. 